Hi guys, welcome to this episode of Under the Covers with Eve. Hope you guys are doing well. Thank you for coming back and joining me again. In this episode, I want to address a topic that I hear from a lot of people about. Shyness. Or rather, the, the abject fear that a lot of people seem to have about talking to others or talking to a woman in particular. For, for any reason at all. I hear this quite a bit from, from men, from my listeners. They all say very similar things. I'm utterly petrified around girls. I'm crippled by shyness. I'm too nervous to talk to women. You know, things like that. This is often the reason that um, lurkers give for not commenting or letting performers know that their work is appreciated. Um, because they even find typing out an anonymous comment to a woman who can't see or hear them or <laughs> doesn't know anything about them. It's just too terrifying. So I want to examine this concept of shyness a bit and explore some of the things that I think might be going on with um, people who consider themselves almost pathologically shy. I just want to state again for the record, I'm not a doctor or a therapist. I'm not giving you therapy here. <laughs> I'm just discussing some ideas about this very common feeling that I think a lot of people have experienced, including myself. You may have heard um, one of my recent um, Sweet Nothings that I did on shyness, where I mentioned that I consider myself shy as well. I'm not overly confident in you know, new situations or strange surroundings, and I can be very shy around men always have been. Maybe that's why um, erotic audio is, has been such fun for me. It lets my, my inner tiger out, so to speak. Anyway, um, <laughs> the point is, I've given the subject of shyness a lot of thought. But, you know, the, the opinions I express are just mine, and they just come from my own observation and experiences. So, when it comes to social anxiety or awkwardness, I think shyness has become a bit of a blanket term that covers way too much, and it doesn't actually do anything to help the situation. Too many people use shyness, in quotes, you know, as a shield, as though they can just hold up their hands and say, of course I can't have a girlfriend, I'm shy. You know, it's as if it's some affliction they have that renders them completely unsalvageable, you know. Of course I have to just lurk silently in this erotic audio community. I'm shy, you know? Of course I can't make friends at work. I'm shy. This kind of thinking is beyond self-limiting. It's like a complete surrender. I, I think there's a difference between people who tend to be a bit nervous around someone that they're attracted to. I mean, we all are, right? Um, and someone whose shyness is actually ruining his life. It's understandable to be a bit nervous, to be not sure what to say, maybe to actually not know what to say so you stay quiet, um, to want to make a good impression. All these things can be can be normal and, and even endearing to someone and make them want to get to know you in spite of your shyness around them. This is a cute kind of shyness, you know, the kind that makes you blush or makes you feel a little awkward. And like I said, everyone feels this at some point in their life. But someone who is pathologically shy is not just nervous about making a good impression on someone that he likes. 
He has a fundamentally flawed view of himself, and it affects how he feels about himself and others. And the problem with believing that you are somehow fatally shy is that it, it really doesn't excuse anything. It isn't a hall pass, you know, it doesn't earn you any special treatment or get you bumped to the front of the line. All it does is help you count yourself out of life before you even think about trying. And not because other people have told you that you don't belong, but because you've told you that you don't belong. I mean, possibly someone at some point might take pity on you, you know, but that won't last and it isn't based on anything real. You shouldn't want people being in your life out of pity anyway. So I'm going to be very honest with you here, because I know you can take it. You know I love you. I think there are three common terms that you need to understand and possibly even redefine for yourself and really think about if you believe that you are just hopelessly shy. You've heard all these terms before, but I'm going to tell you uh, what they mean to me and why I think each one of them plays a crucial role in this. So listen to each of these three words and take a minute to think about what they mean to you. Self-aware, self-conscious, self-absorbed. I think the first two, being self-aware and self-conscious, are really the only two things that anyone ever needs to worry about when it comes to evaluating their own social worth. And self-absorption, the thing that no one should be, <laughs> is what so many people actually are. So, here goes. Here's how I define these terms. Self-awareness, to me, is exactly what it sounds like. You are aware of yourself. You know yourself. You know your likes and your dislikes, your strengths and weaknesses, your talents and your limitations. You know your basic bent. In other words, you know, you know whether you're honest, for example, whether you're hardworking, or you know if you tend to be, you know, if you tend to lie or cheat, if you can get away with it, I mean, all this kind of stuff. Being self-aware is a pretty important first step for people, because you have to have a basic sense of the kind of person you are, if you're ever going to make the right decisions for yourself, or seek out the right people for your life. Most of us spend our adolescence becoming self-aware. We spend our teens figuring ourselves out to a large degree. You know, we start to see ourselves as separate from our families, and we start to build our own unique identities. Sometimes we separate from our original families in very dramatic ways. We reject the religion they raised us in. We move to different countries, speak different languages. We become... Republicans, even though our whole family is Democrat, that sort of thing, you know. We learn who we are and we accept it, despite what anyone else around us wants or expects. But some people get stalled at this point, and they don't go through this stage, or else they never really finish it. They become adults, but they don't ever really examine themselves to find out who they are or what they want to be, or who they want to be. And I think this can lead to a lot of self-doubt, because you yourself don't know who this person is. So why would anyone else be comfortable around you? Some of the shyest people are the social chameleons, you know, the ones who are different people depending on who they're with. 
if you aren't the same person with everyone, you know, if you change your political views, your religious views, or your basic opinions on just about anything in order to fit in with the person that you happen to be sitting next to right now, well, of course you're going to be socially anxious. You aren't being you or authentic. You're just being a mirror for someone else. Now, this doesn't mean, of course, that you can't discover things about yourself as you progress through life. We all do. But simply that your basic, fundamental nature is not a mystery to you. Generally speaking, people who are self-aware have a fairly good grasp on who they are. They are neither bombastically egotistical, nor are they full of self-loathing. They see themselves as human beings with virtues and flaws, just like everyone else. They can change their minds if presented with a decent argument or, or if they have a new life experience that changes their mind, but they don't do it just to get along or to not bother someone or because they think that what they believe doesn't matter and that their, their only value lies in not rocking the boat with any particular group. So self-awareness is key. It's, it's fundamental, it's basic, and it's key because the next step, what I call self-consciousness, builds on it. Self-consciousness does have a lot to do with your behavior towards others and within the society you live in. It's less about you and almost completely about other people, but it should only be a consideration once you have a firm and healthy self-awareness. Politeness and manners and civility, that's all great, but they're not the most important part of your character. Self-consciousness relates to how you, this self-aware human being, interact with the world around you. How do you behave in public? How well do you communicate with others? Do you know how to follow social cues? Or are you socially awkward? Being self-conscious to some degree helps us maintain social relationships and makes it easier for us to navigate the world. We learn how to behave appropriately around other people. We learn how to control our impulses, how to keep our emotions in check. You know, we learn how to cooperate with people and how to behave in crowds. And, you know, we learn not to take things that don't belong to us or to hurt people who get in our way. We learn how to have relationships with other people and what respect and boundaries mean, what we can demand of others and what others can demand of us and what can't or shouldn't be demanded of another person. To some degree, we even learn things like what's acceptable fashion and, you know, body exposure wise, you know, and in what circumstances. All of this I would consider to be self-consciousness. It's, it's really, again, all just about getting along, living as part of a society. And it has to be learned by everyone. So even if you're not great at it right now, even if you have some problems interacting socially, you can learn how to become better at it. Because we all have to learn how to do this. It's not an inherent flaw in your makeup if you don't know how. So if you have both of these qualities, if you're self-aware and self-conscious in the ways that I've described, then you really shouldn't have any problem learning how to get along with other people and valuing yourself within those relationships. However, many people seem to fall into the trap of becoming self-absorbed. Self-absorbed people either really adore themselves or really hate themselves. But either way, both types spend an enormous amount of time thinking about themselves. They're hyper self-aware. 
They're a bit like teenagers, in a sense, no matter how old they are. For the self-absorbed to loathe themselves, their heads are filled with self-doubt and angst, with over-the-top self-criticism and really outlandish beliefs about their own horribleness. You know, they talk themselves into believing these grandiose, all-or-nothing type statements like, no one will ever like me, and I'm an aberration, I'm not normal. They're utterly focused on their flaws, their shortcomings, and their failures. But, you know, even though it's, it's all negative, they really are just focused on themselves. They selfishly hate themselves, if that makes any sense, you know. They are the person they love to hate. And, um... <laughs> I believe this becomes pathological pretty quickly. I think this can really warp someone's character and affect how they develop. It can stunt their growth, so to speak, and prevent them from changing the things about themselves they don't like and from recognizing the things about themselves that they do like, which we all need to do. As for self-consciousness, again, self-absorbed people take this to extremes as well. So instead of merely being respectfully aware of other people, they virtually disappear around other people, shrinking into the background so as not to offend anyone with their presence. At best, they feel like they should just stay quiet, stay out of everyone's way, try not to take up too much oxygen, you know? And at worst, they feel like everyone is staring at them whenever they enter a room, they feel like people are judging them, laughing at them, sneering at them. They're just waiting for someone to make fun of them or insult them. They feel as though their very existence is an annoyance to the world at large. And quite often they'll go out of their way to be accommodating, even to the point of being completely self-sacrificing. Now, the problem with this, of course, is that they spend virtually all their time and effort, quote, being there for other people. You know, being the selfless guy, the great friend, the great brother, the great cousin, you know, the one everyone can count on. They consider themselves completely selfless. And then they're shocked when few people ever reward them with love and respect. Because to them, this equation doesn't work out. You know, they give their all to people, and people don't respond in kind. Therefore, there must be something fundamentally wrong with them, right? Well, <laughs> the thing they're missing lies in the very word, selfless. You can't be in a state of having no self and expect people to love you. What are they supposed to love, exactly? That you essentially don't exist? I mean, or, or that you exist merely to serve others? And that you don't want anything for yourself? You know, you have to have a self for people to love. So you can't spend your whole life just living to make other people happy. You have to be at least selfish enough to exist for yourself, to some degree. Like everyone does. Like all the people that you help do, right? I mean, think about that. They, these people that you help, they gladly take your help and kindness because it benefits them. So they feel on some level that they deserve to be helped. And maybe they do. But you don't feel that you deserve that for some reason. You think that the only way someone will ever love you is if you do things for them. And then your ego tells you that they should love you because you're so nice to them. And you are keeping score of how nice you've been right? Yeah, I know. I've done that too. You figure, well, I deserve some love back by now. Now, again, this could be a whole other episode about why, why sacrificing yourself to your family or your community or whatever is never going to make people love you, no matter how much 
you believe that they should. <laughs> um, for now, just consider that when this only way that people are going to love you doesn't work, you know, when people don't respond with love and admiration for someone who has no self to speak of, um, and when you don't question whether your attitude is wrong, uh, you instead believe that you must be utterly worthless. And I, I can assure you, you aren't. Okay? This may sound blunt. And again, I know you can take it because you know I love you. This may sound blunt, but honestly, no one is that special. For the self-absorbed person, it, it really isn't just about being shy. It's a kind of a warped self-view that makes the person believe that he or she is somehow really, really special, just in a bad way. But still, special and unique, nonetheless. They really believe they're unique, they're not one of the humans, that sort of thing, you know? Everyone else in the world is normal, but not me. I have been singled out by God or by nature or whatever to be this freakish sort of mistake. You've, you've probably heard this lots of times before. It's a very odd kind of self-interest, this kind of egotism. It's like negative egotism. Negotism. There it is. I made up a new word. Negotism. <laughs> but I think it's this belief more than anything, this, this negotism, if you will, that prevents people from truly connecting with others or from finding peace with themselves. I want to encourage you to be greatly self-aware and appropriately self-conscious and try not to be too self-absorbed. I've been all three, so I know how hard it is, believe me. Um, but I do think it's vital to your inner happiness and, and your romantic or social success to try to banish self-absorption, even if you just want to call it shyness. I think you only have to pay attention to three crucial areas in order to be you know, accepted into the human club, you know, a respectable part of civilized society. Just three things. Okay, here you go. Number one, your basic physical presence. You have to be conscious of how you present yourself in general. Your grooming and your clothing in particular, you know, um, always, of course, providing for your personal sense of style. Um, but like, you know, <laughs> Not smelling offensive to people, you know, either the bad smells or the supposed good ones, you know, like not dousing yourself in cologne. Not crowding people, um, you know, chewing gum if you've had garlic for lunch, you know, the things you can choose, basically. Because it doesn't matter what your body looks like. What you choose to do with it is what counts. A woman is going to be turned off or creeped out only if you present yourself as though you don't care. I mean, I've seen men and women do this. They, they might be overweight or underweight or whatever, but they present themselves in badly fitting clothes. They don't comb their hair. They don't do the basic things to show that they're at least a little put together. And then they insist that people are rejecting them because of their body size or their type. But in most cases, people don't really care how big or small you are. But they will be turned off if you look like you don't care about yourself. You're sending the message that... You're never going to care about them if you don't at least care about yourself. So number two, manners. Very important in a civilized society. You have to be conscious of your manners around people. Remembering all the things that were drilled into you when you were a kid. Please and thank you, you know. Politeness really counts. Please and thank you go a long way. Holding doors, that sort of thing. Be aware of other people around you and just be courteous. You don't have to shrink into the wallpaper. You are certainly allowed to take up space. 
And just keep in mind that there are other people around you who deserve politeness as well. And fairness counts here, too. You know, do you butt in front of other people in line? Do you, <laughs> do you snag someone's taxi or their, or their parking space, you know? And the same is true in an online situation. You know, don't pester, don't be rude or snippy or sarcastic, and, and don't try to guilt someone into talking to you. Basically, just remember your manners. And number three, respecting others in terms of their physical space, their attention, and their time. Be conscious of whether the person that you're engaging with is giving you the impression that he or she wants to be there having this conversation. Listen as much as you talk. And don't be afraid to ask pertinent questions about that person. Don't blast people for their opinions or try to be a know-it-all, but feel free to have real conversations with people. You know, assert your opinion. That's, that's totally fine. Let them assert theirs. This is huge in terms of what to do in an online relationship, I have to say. Respect is crucial here, um, as is respecting a person's privacy and time. Try to picture any online conversation that you're having as if it's happening in the real world, right now, right out in public. Would you say and do the things you're saying and doing um, if it were face-to-face -face and in public? If not, then don't do it online. So beyond these, these very basic things, um, these things that you really should be doing, that everybody should be doing, that's all you have to worry about. If you've taken care of these things and you're still feeling self-conscious, then I believe you're verging on being too self-absorbed. Because these basic things are the only things you can screw up that will make people not want to be around you. People are pretty tolerant about just about everything else. So here are some other self words that I want you to consider. Self-esteem, self-confidence, and self-respect. Now usually these, these words are used interchangeably. But for this discussion, I want to sort of redefine them or repurpose them a bit so that maybe you can fit them in with what I have just been saying. Self-respect, to my mind, is comparable to self-awareness. You have to have a basic respect for your physical existence. You have to acknowledge that you are a living human being worthy of basic dignity and respect. You have the right to take up space, to exist, to breathe. You know, you have the right to your, your life and your liberty. You know, no one's allowed to assault you or kill you or kidnap you. You know what I mean? You're a human being. You have intrinsic value. This also means you are entitled to health and well-being, meaning that you should treat your body well, should nourish yourself, rest yourself, exercise yourself, and pleasure yourself with no guilt or feelings of unworthiness. You know, this is the basic level that I think every human being is entitled to. Now, self-esteem, I think, kind of equates with self-consciousness. It's how you estimate yourself as a person, and it usually has a social component. Are you socially competent? Are you polite and well-mannered? Are you respectful of others? Are you satisfied that you are a decent person who conducts himself well in public and in relation to others? If so, then you should allow yourself to feel this level of self-esteem, at least. You should realize that this is a quality not everyone possesses. 
I mean, look around you. Look at the number of people you see on a weekly basis who, who like, they really aren't socially respectful of others and their personal space. You know, anybody who's been on public transit, you know. Um, <laughs> look at the number of rude, insensitive, selfish people you see. Think of the number of thieves and vandals, you know. You aren't one of them. You conduct yourself well in society, and that's a credit to you. It really doesn't matter if you're the life of the party or not, or if you have a million Facebook friends or whatever. You're socially competent if you conduct yourself respectfully around other people. That's it. So feel esteem for that. Now, self-confidence, on the other hand, I believe is not interchangeable with the other two. I think it's something you can only achieve by actively doing something that you yourself are proud of. I don't think anyone outside of yourself can give you self-confidence. It's something that you can only give yourself. So think about a situation in your life where you really impressed yourself. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. When I was first learning to drive, my parents' car was a manual transmission, and I really struggled trying to learn how to drive. I just couldn't operate this car. I was actually really bad at it for quite a long time. And then finally, my younger brother took me out driving and he taught me and he was very good at it. And I eventually mastered it and it was glorious. It was like a personal victory. It was something that I had finally been able to conquer. That simple act of learning how to drive a stick shift and not stall it or, you know, sort of jackrabbit it into a store window or whatever, that gave me a lot of self-confidence. No amount of pep talks or hugs or feel-good encouragement from my friends or my family or anyone else would have ever been able to do that for me. I had to achieve something to feel it. I think this is the real key for anyone who wants self-confidence. Set a goal for yourself and achieve it no matter how small or seemingly trivial. If it's a challenge to you, that's all that counts. Start noticing these little victories and let, and let the good feelings that they bring build up in you. Use them to draw on for those times when you're feeling, you know, less than okay. So to sum up, what I've learned in battling my own shyness is to try to keep a balanced view of myself around others to be self-aware and self-conscious in how I am and how I treat others, but to not be self-absorbed or an egotist. <laughs> Sometimes it, it helps us to remind yourself that merely taking up space isn't an affront to anyone. Just talking to someone in a casual way is not a sin, and in fact, most people appreciate it if you break the ice and say something to them. Now, none of this is going to guarantee that anyone including any particular woman, is going to be receptive to you. There is no magic cure for that, unfortunately. And honestly, it doesn't always have a whole lot to do with you. Individual women will have their own reasons for not responding to you if they don't, and you have no way of knowing what those reasons might be. Some women will be in a relationship, and they don't want to engage in conversation with a guy. Some women won't be interested in men at all, some might be having a rough day and don't feel up to meeting new people. And, being totally honest here, some might not be attracted to you. Just like you aren't attracted to every woman you've ever met. But the point is, this isn't about you being some lost cause. 
or somehow different than other people. If someone doesn't connect with you, there are myriad reasons why. And I'd wager that it has nothing to do with your value as a person. What you can learn from even rejection is how to keep your basic self-awareness, self-esteem, and self-confidence intact, even if someone isn't interested in talking to you. You can learn to let them go on their way as simply someone who doesn't connect with you, not as some great person who has rejected lowly you, you know? And what's more likely, the more you nurture these three aspects of yourself, the more you will find it easy to talk to all sorts of people. And when you do, notice how many people will smile back, who will make a joke or some other comment, and basically have a nice exchange with you. Not everyone will, but enough people will that hopefully you'll begin to see that there is nothing wrong with you. You just need to like yourself as much as you hope other people will like you. So, some food for thought. That's it for this episode. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoy your summer, if it's summer where you are. <laughs> I plan to go out and enjoy the sun today. Thanks again. I'll talk to you again soon.